We were children of the Silicon Revolution, conscripted to fight the home computer wars. A product of an analog 70s childhood, we came of digital age in the 80s, believing we could affect the world eight bits at a time. We proceeded into the vertical blank, devising incantations from beginner's all-purpose symbolic instruction code, wielding runes of ASCII wizardry 40 columns at a time from our full-stroke keyboards. Video games were the match, programming was the fuse, and the infinite possibilities at our fingertips became the flame that lit our future into the internet age to come. We are Generation Atari. Jeff, we're still in the midst of planning out season three of Into the Vertical Blank, and we're arguing about which way to go. So I thought maybe we could spend a little bit of time. I don't think we've argued. Well, but... we've been talking about what we should do. Are we going to publish this as a uh, season two dot? Yeah, uh, this is a this is a extra. bonus. I thought we could go over season one episodes and see if there's any updates for any of those episodes that we uh, recorded. Like, is there any new information about any of the episodes? Wow. So the first... Without looking it up? Without looking... <laughs> just see if there's anything. See if there's okay. anything new. We Go play, for we it. We could play a little clip of the episode and then talk about if there's anything new. So I'll describe to you what the episodes are and let's see if there's anything comes up. So the first episode, S1E0 Newbie, is Jeff's original test episode. Do you even remember what you did in that episode? I used, I did reviews of some games, I think, and I overused the um, uh, Emily way too much and had her make way too much fun of what we were doing. And some people liked it and some people never listened to the podcast again because of that. (laughs) This is 8-Bit Jeff here, and I'd like to welcome you to Into the Growing Up Atari, a podcast about all Atari systems, games, arcade machines, even new systems that come out. We'll be covered at all. We'll cover our experience with Atari, the history of Atari, anything to do with Atari computers, video game systems, and anything else that Atari ever did or ever will do. Probably not the PC games, though, but you never know. Railroad Tycoon is pretty Hey, so let's do an Emily update. What's happened to Emily? She's used very sparingly. Now, She all Emily is in charge of is every once in a while, adding her voice to a um to a big to a uh, an intro or an outro, or to a song to make it funny, but she's not. We're doing our own um, erratas, and we'll do them either in line or at the end of a segment, not necessarily in the middle of a segment. Yeah, that's true. Hey, nerd boy, I know you are not a fortune teller. Stop being so hoity-toity. This is supposed to be fun. Hey, where is my tea? I need some whiskey in it now. Grammar and enunciation certainly leave a lot to be desired on this podcast. There is not enough tea and crisps in the world. 
I kicked Nerdboy out of the studio. He smells like desperation and speed stick. Riveting entertainment you have here. The secret of the Nerdboy and his paddly doodads and which Amahus it's. Oh dear me. Dear dear me. Oh boys, this sounds awful. No wonder it didn't last very long being the compelling, almost Shakespearean content that it was. Why did you not keep flogging this one topic dead over and over and over, like you have been with what is the vertical blank, that could certainly have filled at least one more episode of this masterful, driving noise drenched pod sound thingy. You two twiddly wingers are the Atari fanboys missed opportunities. Boys. Research would have helped this discussion. The sound is awful. I'm going to have to cut you off soon and just let you make a few salient points before everyone listening goes insane from the racket. Where were you going anyway? Why record this in a wind tunnel with knickers over your mouths? Did it have wood grain, with a joystick that lights up? Did it come with a Bluetooth hat? Prophetic and genius. I didn't know I was in the presence of such grand thinkers. I just hope it's not a GoFundMe masked as a pre-order. Boys, 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 let's get the simple things correct first. Okay, boys, that's one million and one for me and still one for you. I'm flustered. I didn't mind the gap in your American untidy maths. Yes, it's maths as in mathematics not math as in mathematic. Your American new math has stunted your basic arithmetic and Google skills. 8-bit Jeff is completely wrong here. And please, boys RTFM. That is now Emily 100 million and 2 and nerd boys 2. Scoreboard fellas, scoreboard. Repeat after me. Google is my friend. Google would make Emily's life much easier as she edits these episodes. Google is my friend. Emily. Pwned. You. Hey you nerdy nerdlingers. What did you write for me to say here? Ha 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 he he he. That's fake laughter. Do I have to call you guys these names you wrote for me? I can do better. I think Jeff is a genius, at stuttering his words and forgetting where he left his brain. Oh, that's not nice. Not nice at all. Oh and on to Steve. Okay, we get it, you like to write stories that tug the heartstrings and have a message. How about sometimes you guys just play games and shut up? They made me say that, they did, they did. I need my tea and biscuits. Come on, Jeff you turned me into a stereotypical bumblehead here. Oh, can I at least let them know I'm not a Luddite, I will kick their nerdy butts on Fortnite. Oh come on with it, I'm bored of this now. I need my holiday break. How about you go to hell and stop bugging me with these awful scripts and songs, Jeff. You suck you nasty boy. Bye until next year. Repeat after me. Google is my friend. Google would make Emily's life much easier as she edits these episodes. Google is my friend, Emily. Pwned. You. I think it was fun. It's funny. I think it's interesting. I think we ran out of things to do with Emily. It bordered on the line of making fun of her, and that wasn't the point. Like that wasn't the point. She, she was supposed, was supposed to make, to fun, make of us. fun of us, but it it bordered, right. and so I think it 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 got uncomfortable. The joke got uncomfortable. 
I think. Is yeah, it was funny at the beginning, and then you, the further and further you take it, the weirder and weirder it gets. And yeah. um, I mean, our idea know. was to was to was to take her character to be like this hardcore gamer that 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 made fun of us for playing retro games and stuff. Right. Um, and 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 we did a, we kind of did that a little bit, but it doesn't it didn't. The the show went in a different direction, I guess. So right, that's why. Right. So we don't need that. So anyway, and that was when I was doing. I did all I think Atari eight bit reviews in that first episode. Well, we also did Atari in in season one, episode one, where I'm introduced. That's when you showed me a bunch of eight bit games. Right, um, that was a different one. Though. I showed you a bunch of 8-bit, new eight bit homebrew games. Right? Yeah, and that was cool. And, and how about so? That's cool. So, so Atari choose... Blast comes up and it's got like a rotating Atari Blast. It's got more sound. Oh, no, sound. Coming from top to bottom. And I press go. Oh, this is by Atari Robot and Power Complex. Okay, so Atari Blast is multiple games in one using sort of the same. I think you told me this is this is a this is like inspired by like a bit trip bit trip beat sort of. But um I love it. What is this? Stuff coming out for the Atari. I mean, yes, it needs more memory and things like that, but yeah. You need one meg. You need one meg to play this on a regular machine. Um, I do have a version that plays on a 130XE, I'm pretty sure. Um, so I did play it. Um, but this one especially needs um, this is the this is the full one meg version. I'm only speechless because this is fantastic. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, my mouth is agape as I'm playing another Atari game. <laughs> well, and look, at there's the robot. I, that's the, the, the antic robot. The antic robot from the... Pick up the money. Oh, I don't know man. What do with it. That's the that's robot. That's amazing. That's, that's the robot from the... Um, from the from the antic demo. From the demo, yeah. yeah exactly. Are there any new 8-bit homebrew games that oh. have come out in the past year or so that, you, that people may be interested in? Well, yeah. I mean, um... So the best place to look for all of those is there's a couple of them. There's HomeSoft um, site where you can find, you can just look at the latest discs and tell, they're up to disc 450. And last year there was such great games as uh, Monty on the Run and Jet Set Willy were both recreated for the Atari 8-bits. Those are games that were on the, the Spectrum and BBC Micros, those type of computers. There's a whole bunch of them that are... I mean, every year there's more Fruity Pete. The best place to look for the discs is here for downloads. And then on... Um, Fandel has his own website where he goes through all the latest ones. And so does AtariOnline.pl. It's a Polish site, but it's translated to English when you want it to be. And they, they have a link right that says New Games in, in 2019. And it lists all the new games that came out in 2019. Oh, that's cool. The I think the most interesting one is that Fandel, he's a guy who creates his own games. And he also has a site about all homebrew games, but also makes his own games. He had created a, a like a vertical scrolling game shooter for the Atari 8-bits. We looked really good, but he never finished it. Oh, that's too bad. And so, if the best place for people to do is just go seek these out on their own. But um, the game called it was called Abyssus. There's a lot of other games that came out. I mean, you know, Kevin from the Antic Podcast creates uh, like ten line games every single like a hundred a year I know, he, of new ten line fast basic he's games. Pretty, he's pretty, like um, pretty prolific or, with that sort of thing. I'm sorry, Turbo Basic XL. I think he yeah. uses. So there's new games that come out all the time. 
Um, they're not all arcade quality, but some of them are really good, and some are. Um, and I think Lord of Orb was a, was a really interesting one that came out, a little bit like um, Tutankhamun, a little bit. There's lots of them. Um, people just have to go look at them. I mean, it seems you know, like it, the it, amount of homebrew games is accelerating. Uh, it is. People figure out how to do it. And it's so much more fun to me to think about making a game for one of those old systems where you've got um, limited resources and, and, and you, can, you, you, know, you can make something fun that doesn't have to... You, you know, you would load up Unity right now and you've got this vast canvas. You can do anything and... In some ways, you, that means you do nothing because there's just so much you could do that you, you get bogged down in what you can't do because you don't have the time or resources to make it happen. Yes, and I'm trying to... So, fandel.cz is another place they can look. How do you spell that? F-A-N... Okay, A-8 dot F-A-N-D-A-L dot C-Z. Uh-huh. And he basically updates his site every single time there's a new set of games you can find. And uh, I'm with new demos and intros and all kinds of stuff. But one thing I didn't see on his site, or maybe it did, was that the, in the Atari 5200 forum on Atari Age, somebody put up a demo they had made of Galaga for the Atari 5200 oh, wow. on the 8-bit. And I made a video of that. That's on our. That's, oh, that's up on our. That's right, because you um, started, as an update, you started making some videos of 8-bit games. I made mean, videos of 8-bit and Atari ST games. And I'd like to make, I'm going to start making videos of the new ones that come out, not necessarily um, going back and doing reviews because reviews of games are kind of silly. So what I want to start doing review video-wise is of new reviews games of that games come out. aren't silly. It's just like you can find lots of reviews online. Like every, a lot of people right. do them. To me, so, in some ways, modern reviews aren't as interesting as going back and finding reviews from Old reviews, that, the right, same when they time came out. when they came out. Because the, the way people review games and their view of what a game was and what the advances were and capabilities based on the systems back in temporally is just more interesting to me, you know, what back I'm, in time. What I will put up on the site for all Atari systems are games that I never played that I want to review and have a look at, right? Things right. that... I never saw like ones that were like ST games or, or budget European games or um, maybe Lynx and Jaguar ones because I have a bunch of new Jaguar games, but I would have to record the screen or um, things that are brand new that no one really knows about or there's only a couple things and I'll actually play through them and do a, a nice review of them, things like that. So you, the Fandel site is the perfect resource for that. But what we don't find is a lot of Atari ST ones out there, even no. though there's a huge community of people um, supposedly making Stoss games and things for the ST. So what I want to do is get our game that we created out there as as an ST game completed, and actually the goal is to get it into AtariMania.com. Hey, so so that's a good goal. I like that. That's I think I think that is something that's going to happen on season. Three. Season three, but let's talk about that when we get to the ST episode. So season one, episode two was about Toys R Us. So we went to Toys R Us. Remember, we walked around. Yes. Into the vertical black. Hello, 
and welcome to Season 1, Episode 2 of Into the Vertical Blank, Growing Up Atari. This is 8-Bit Jeff, and along with my co-host, 8-Bit Steve, we bring you today's episode titled, A Hole Burned in My Pocket, Toys R Us, and the Atari 7800. Then we talked about the 7800, and then we played my um, sappy story, Clawhammer. A true story. After an hour, my dad announced, You each just earned 50 cents. The idea of getting 50 cents an hour was as much motivation as my brother and I needed. Even though the sun was hot and beating down on us, we kept going for at least another three hours before we stopped for lunch. After lunch, we spent the rest of the day up on the roof with my dad, pulling up tiles from the claw side of the hammer, removing the nails, putting them in the Folgers coffee can, and then throwing the tiles in the backyard. As we worked, my dad told my brother and I stories about his childhood, stories we had never heard before that day. Your granny and gramps sent my brother John and I to a boarding school named Manumet when we were kids, he started. Why did they send you there, I asked. My dad took a long pause before he answered. He pulled out the tile he was working on and tossed it off the roof. It hit the ground a bit harder than the ones he had previously thrown. Um, because it was the Great Depression and they didn't have any money to keep us around, Manumet School was on a farm in New York State. It was like an orphanage for kids whose parents had to work in the city. As long as we worked on the farm, we could go to the school for free. What did you do there? My brother asked. We farmed, we camped, we fished, we even got to ride horses sometimes. There was a movie theater and a store in town where we could buy six pieces of candy for a penny. It sounds like fun, I said. I hated every minute of it, my dad replied. They sent me there when I was four years old. One day, my mom, dad, John, I, and Poochie the dog were a happy family, and the next day, my mom drove us out to the end of that road and dropped us off. She never told us what was happening. She just drove away, and the people at school took us in. How long were you there, my brother asked. Eight years, until I went to high school. I never saw Poochie again. My parents moved to a small apartment in New York, so there's no room for us. We were allowed to come home just a couple times a year. I couldn't imagine this. I lived in the same house with my twin brother, two sisters, my mom, my dad, and the cats. It had always been that way, and I was pretty sure it would always be that way. But my dad continued. So so the Toys R Us update, everyone knows this. Toys R Us is gone. That Toys R Us is now a Burlington... Burlington. Yeah. Is that is that any relation to Burlington Coat Factory? Are yeah, they the same? same company. They just don't just sell coats anymore. No, now it's now it's basically a Ross Dress for Less or Marshalls, but it's the same thing um, as one of those. Yeah, stores. actually, I like it better. To be honest, I like it better. They than have Toys like, R Us. Oh, than Ross. No, or, I like it better than Ross Dress for Less. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't like it actually. Considering the type of things I found at Toys R Us, I actually like Burlington Coat Factory better. Because hey, you know, you know what we didn't we didn't say in that episode is that Toys R Us or that parking lot we were in. That's the site of Mattel Toys back when uh, Mattel Electronics existed and they made the Intellivision. That the is Intellivision correct. Intellivision was not ultimately made there; it was made down the street, like the games are programmed on the street. But that the the where the um the the warehouse and some of the manufacturing and design was all done 
where we were standing. So now right. it's a Burlington Coat Factory. You're right. I, and, now it's a Burlington you know, Coat Factory. So, so Mattel interests me, interests me obviously, because I w- worked there and you did too. Um, but it's an interesting piece of lore that it, it, it's right on that same spot where most of that stuff was at least imagined for the first time. Speaking of that, there's a, uh, there's a $100 um, buy-in for the Amico. Uh-huh. For the, the Intellivision Amico. I haven't done it yet, but there's a hundred dollars to get yourself on the list um, to get an Amico, and I plan to do that when yeah, I when I'm I get paid next. I'm not sure about the VCS or the Amico right now. I have so many consoles. I, so do I. 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 You know, and right now I'm addicted to my PS4. I I just don't know. I don't. I, here's the thing. I I don't understand why I can't do most of the same stuff on my PlayStation. I. I get that the that the that the um, the Atari VCS is you know I could install Linux and then you could have Steam and there's some other games like AntStream is going to be on there. But anyway, I guess another conversation. I like the idea. I just don't know what I would do with it. I don't know where it's going to go. When uh, I would for me, use it, purposely, the best thing for me to do with any of those systems is not buy them. Get the brand new Retro Pie and and clean out one of the Atari flashback systems that I have, pull out all the crap and stick my retro pie inside of it yeah. so that I could use it as a retro pie, but it looks like Atari 2600. Stick that in one place and have no more hardware. Yeah, I kind I'm not going to do this. I kind of I put my hardware in the garage where I can yeah, see it. You know who would love that? Your wife would love that. Jeannie would love it, yeah. Yes. We actually plan, that's my plan now, is to have, you know, just at some point, the hardware will be available to you. It's just going to all be in the garage. And just yeah, and you could pull just going to have shelf. a retro pie. So I, I bought all kinds of new consoles over the last couple of months. I've got you bought me a couple, and I got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about with those. So as an update to Claw Hammer, there is no up- update. That's just, that story was from like 1977. It's a great story though. But um, but I did. The hammer's not purple, by the way. So I had I did what I didn't want to say in that episode was I had lost that hammer. And oh. it made me feel bad because the, the whole thing is about how I still have it. But I did find it. and I well, My st- toolbox was stolen that had that hammer. Oh, on, man. So. But I, yeah. I found it and then um, and then I now use it for most of my projects again. When was it stolen? When was your toolbox well, stolen? Well, I don't know. I, I thought – see, my think, think thought is that I took it to – I used to bring the – when I, we had just the boys – when they're very young, like Ryan three and Justin zero or one, I had a that I had a toolbox that I think we even got from Dad, but I don't remember. I may have another one, and it had that hammer and a lot of basic items in it. And every time we went on a road trip, I would bring it just in case, like for to fix the car or whatever we needed. And I either left it in a campsite, I left it in a motel. Or, uh, or I left it in the car outside the motel or something when we were moving our stuff in and somebody took it. We've had two other instances of things being stolen from us when we were on vacation. One was Jeannie's camera. Another one was oh, my backpack right. that had a camera in it. So we it's just because with the two kids, you're sort of you're, – suddenly your your attention is somewhere else. You so you become a there. target, yeah. You become a target. And um, um, we've had another one. Someone tried to – someone stole Ryan when he was like – Two, they stole his backpack when we were at the wharf in San Francisco. The backpack had like an Elmo in it. Aww. I mean, it's like and, and like probably a jacket or something. It's like, well, if you really needed that for your kid, okay, you can have it. 
right? Like, yeah, but they but probably did. Like, They're just looking for cash. So I'm thinking it was during that time when we were just distracted because the boys were really young, and it was just uh, there's three. I have like four instances of things being stolen. Only one that I ever in Mammoth, I like went down to the sheriff's department and said, "Look, I was moving stuff into our into our hotel room. Someone stole my backpack that has both my laptop and my camera in it. I want it back." It's someone that works at Eagle Mountain Inn. Right. I'm telling you exactly where it was. I even asked all that. I went on Facebook and I said, and I, I added the, I went to the Facebook page for the, for the mammoth sheriff. And I said, everybody I know, something was stolen from me from the Eagle Mountain Inn, my backpack. I want it back. And then a day later, the backpack suddenly showed up at the front desk. Uh-huh. So it's the only time I've ever, ever actually come back because it had like things that we needed in it for our yeah. trip, and it was like anyway. That's so, sorry about that. So that was a no, digression. It's fine. No, that's that's that just sucks. Um, season one, episode three, Atari Nerd. Was this the first ever Atari podcast from December two thousand eight? I still don't know if it was the first ever Atari podcast that we did. Our we mis- certainly podcasted before podcasts were a thing because it had just come out. The no, iPhone no, no, no. IPod had not come out. I mean, the iPhone had just come out. I'm sorry. Yeah, the iPhone had just We want to pick up our Atari nerd, nerdness, and take it to the next level because we think there's a gulf out there for Atari nerds. I, 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 <laughs> I, I know. What Jeff had put up a message um, not too long ago by a guy named John Harris um, who wrote for Gama Sutra. He wrote about the 20 best Atari arcade games and get, get a game design from and he asked where are the Atari fanboys right now there are tons of Atari fans out there right Atari fans at Atari age um, Atari museum the Kurt Vendels you know the world the guys at classic gaming um, but I think what he was asking was about the fanboys see Atari fans for the most part and we love all those guys a lot of them are very much into digging up old games from the past like unreleased games because there's that I wrote another blog about this you know not too long ago but it was about how um, how you know basically about not being able to give up stuff in the past when there's a when you know a company like Atari dies you know in 1983 or 84 whenever however you decide when it died um, what ends up happening is there's a ton of leftover material, unreleased, unfinished, and the, because of the death, the um, the fans of Atari have been mourning for the past, you know, 25 years, the death of Atari, and to mourn, what they want is Atari to live again. So they go try to find unreleased, or actually unreleased games, and then now they they, they get into the point about 10 years ago making their own games. So lots of homebrew games, and uh, all that's great, and we have nothing against. And actually, we'll probably talk about it. But tisk tisk nerd lingers. What a difference ten years make. Why did you not keep flogging this one topic dead over and over and over, like you have been with what is a vertical blank? That could certainly have filled at least one more episode of this masterful, driving noise-drenched pod sound thingy. You two twiddly wingers are the Atari fanboys, and there are many like you. 
What Jeff and I want to talk about the Atari nerd is being an Atari fanboy, which is which is Atari games wanting wanting their you know to express that the games that Atari made back in their heyday were absolutely fantastic. Wanting the new Atari to recognize that and wanting the new Atari to do well too, um, because a lot of people say you know the new Atari isn't the old Atari. Well, that's fine, but you know what? The new Sega isn't the old Sega either. I, I would I would have to guess that very few people left but but it was it was early, it was early but the podcasts have been been going on but for remember a long time when that. we from 2004 all the way to 2010 when we were trying to make retro games and find atari news and stuff out there there was nothing there marty was there Marty ran his own site. Yeah, there was so Nothing else little. Was there. there was so little. We would put up stories about uh, Atari games, about old Atari games, about bringing games back, about making games. Yep. And and there was no one to talk to about. There was, All on 8bitrocket.com and they're still there. They're still there. And and I've and, turned a lot of them into podcasts. I know. I know we we've podcast. been mining some of that stuff for content, but that's cool. To bring it back, but I do remember a very very it was a very lonely would, time. I would go to Google and I would search Google and YouTube for any and blogs. Maybe you could search um, YouTube for, I mean, Google for blogs. I would search for any Atari content and would put it into a list and put them on the site. And there were places like Joy of Sticks, who now he has a really cool um, video channel. There was a guy who said every game I own where he was going through all of his games. Marty always had stuff up there on his website. That was it. There wasn't a lot. But and he, then but there's a, there's Atari a, Age was always there. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't. But now, you know, take Ferg's podcast and some of the other podcasts that are out there. They're really good. And the people mostly on those podcasts that we listen to and, and, and the, um, you know, Kevin's Kevin Savitz podcast. The, yeah, um, the uh, Antic, Antic and podcast. Antic you know, most of these are really genuinely and... nice people who love Atari in multiple different ways, they have different systems and stuff, or love gaming from that time, and are super nice about it. And I do remember back when we were doing those Atari things back in the in the in the Aughties, the community was not as nice. No. It was a not little it was a little, you know, like um like very protective. Insular. And insular and protective. And now it seems like the the people who are protective have sort of quieted down a little bit because there's no way to stop the waterfall. There are so many people who have memories about the time and want to talk about it and want to want to write histories and yeah, research. The insular stuff. people don't own those memories. They don't own it. They they there's people who felt like they owned the subject. And maybe right. they had a good reason to feel like they owned it. Like maybe they had they had dumpster dived at a time when no one else did it or they preserved things or they knew people or did interviews and all that's cool. But that does you can't do that for very long. You, you there, you know, you want your thing to become popular and it's like, you know, in the eighties when we didn't want to, you know, we wanted people to like our band, but we didn't want our band to have a hit song because then everyone would like them. Like it's that same thing where you want to, you found it, you want to own it, but that makes no sense. It's right. It's anyway, so I love it now, you know. Um, uh, I love the listening to the podcast and other people that are doing stuff, and you know the Gen X podcast and the and the Growing Up Eighties podcast and Ferg's podcast and all the other Atari podcasts you listen to are really great. So anyway, uh, enough on that one. I think it was probably one of the first Atari podcasts. But here's the other thing: who cares? Next. Yeah, no, I, that was just us trying to mine our content. Yeah, just That's trying all. to mine our content. Okay.
So the next episode, season one, episode four, was called Escape to the Asteroid Zone. So we, oh, we did yeah. a history of asteroids on that one. And then we did the Escape to the Asteroids story, which is basically another chapter in, like, like um, Clawhammer. Another autobiographical chapter of whatever that is. In 1980, our house became a loud and uncomfortable place to be, where nobody heard anyone, nobody listened, and everyone increased their volume, hoping that others would understand them. My mom in particular would argue with my sisters, and they were only obliged to argue back. It was about this time that the police began showing up. The visits didn't always coincide with an episode. They could be an hour or even days later. The knock would come at the front door, which we hardly ever used. One or two men in blue, looking pensive, sporting stereotypical mustaches. They'd say there was a noise complaint or ask if everything was okay. It always was, according to my mom. The battles were psychological. My mom would assure them that all was fine and promised to help keep the noise down. Unfortunately, it was not really under her control. I started to fear knocks at the front door and the sight of the police even more. But out of all this, something weird and magical happened. With our family no longer on solid ground, a new idol rose and became my fascination. The fascination had been brewing for many years, but in the summer of 1981, it became a full-blown obsession. The name of that obsession was Atari. It's clear now why this happened. My mom was obsessed with her grief, my dad obsessed with recapturing a childhood he never had, and my sisters obsessed with punk rock. My brother and I needed to follow suit. Since we'd been trained by Star Wars that people, not technology, were the enemy, and we were proto-nerds who liked to make our own games in the garage, we were drawn to the idea of a futuristic-sounding company like Atari, a company that shipped amazing video game amusements to our local storefronts on a regular basis. I found myself looking for the Atari name everywhere. Whenever I saw an arcade video game, I looked at the top of the marquee, hoping to see an Atari logo. If I did, I knew it would be a good game and worth my quarter. I'd look for the Atari VCS at stores like Montgomery Ward, Sears, and Target, hoping to get a glimpse of the logo or steal away a game on a test machine. This is how I coped with reality. I put my faith into something bigger, and that thing was Atari. As Atari became my obsession, it became my twin brother's obsession too, and the quickest and most successful manifestation of this obsession was the Asteroids machine at the front of the Safeway at the corner of Prospect and Sepulveda. It was an escape into another reality. Um, there's not much to update on that story. I, I but in my uh, in my uh, sort of story. Well, you're on that's the next thing. episode. That's in the next episode. Oh, I'm sorry. So I don't think there's a lot to update. Asteroids itself appeared in the background of Stranger Things from uh, oh, yeah. the last season of Stranger Things. So so this asteroids is getting some Atari love Atari actually figured prominently in the mall in that, in that movie and that TV show, which was great. 
But Asteroids itself, I don't know. There hasn't been that much. Not really an update on that. I think we really did Asteroids into the ground. But in Season 1, Episode 5, that's where you kind of took over. And, and we talked about the second part of Asteroids history, like the games that were made for platforms beyond, like, 1984. And then you talked about your Asteroids game that you built yourself. All appointment life. Large rocks, hard labor, boulders, classically a Sisyphusian task. Push them up a hill to only have them fall back down. But rocks in space? Filling my headspace, a virtual space. Destroy one, it breaks into two more. Destroy those, and they birth yet two smaller cores. More to remove, more to destroy, until the last one, a satisfying endeavor. Blast them all, and the screen fills up again. What? This is an Atarian task, a cathartic quest to pulverize planet pieces. But a fully Atarian task, an Atarian task in a virtual space, a virtual space that fills my vertical blank. Clearing screens of rocks. I did um, Retro Blaster, and I built a couple other ones in in various languages. But what I wanted to talk about that was that um, I I wanted to get to the point where I could build an asteroids game on the Atari 800, and I'm still building up there because learning machine language is really tough. But I uh, I think that I'm going to skip over and build a scrolling using all the at some point after we finish the at some point after we finish what we want to do this year with our game i right, really and i'm going to use some of the new techniques in stoss uh-huh. i really want to be able to use make an ste scrolling asteroids game that's very similar to Ast- a minex 4k where it i scroll game, yeah. the entire screen that was a 4k game in flash anyway so i really want to do that but i want to be able to use the stoss and all the all the all the ste um stuff so it can scroll fast and and use the sounds and things like that that's anyway. Cool. Okay, well, then season one, episode six, how the Atari ST and MIDI might have ruined our favorite 80s rock band. That's why we liked them so much. And that, to me, that sound right there, that's my youth. That's in my vertical blank, that sound right there. That is a life-affirming analog sound. That's the alarm. Now, what what created... What transpired uh, to to go from that to what we heard before? Well, um, now that I'm old, I I do love the the record and Rain in the Summertime. But, yeah, yeah, but this but is back for, in the eighties. Back in the eighties, when I was a kid. This is back when you're a kid and you are your Okay, you're in the eighties. You're in high school. Your identity, identity is so tied to the rock bands that you like. This is different than it is now. I I, mean, I don't know if there was another time when it was when your identities were so so stratified by the T-shirt you wore for the rock band. Right, exactly. So exactly. and there could have been, but I think it's in particular in the '80s, especially with MTV and the look you had to sport. 
you know, to, and we, you know, we would somewhat try to look like the alarm ourselves, right? With the, at some point, spiky hair. You might and, put a picture up or something yeah, like that. You're so identified with that band. And then the sound changes so drastically, you don't know what to do. Right. Exactly. I understand. I agree. So, and yo, what pre- pre- precipitated that sound change, Steve? The Atari ST computer. The Jackintosh? The Jackintosh. The Atari ST computer made by Jack Tremiel's Atari after he bought them in 1984. It came out in late 1985, right? Late 1985. Or is it 80? Oh, but we didn't get... It came get, out in late 1985. Right, we didn't get one until 87. It took, a, it took a year and a few months for us to get an ST. Yeah, we went... We sold our Atari 800. We invested. We sold and reinvested the money from our Atari 800 into an Atari ST computer. Right. And to Manny from Wilmington. Manny, that's who we sold. Manny from Wilmington, to. California. If you're around anywhere, I want my Atari disc back. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Jury's still out on whether it ruined the, our, our favorite 80s rock band. Well, when, when um, okay. So when you mentioned that a reviewer had talked about the alarm, and we even thought this back then, that their singles were usually um, not very good. Or their they singles weren't great. Were like, called, someone, it wasn't a, it was someone called their singles output. New wave atrocities, which I'm right. I'm I'm holding that back for an 80s name of an 80s metal. No, I don't new think they were all new wave atrocities, but yeah, but some of them there were. definitely were much better songs on the records that should have been put out as singles, which really would have pushed them above. And we talked about that on our alarm podcast that we will get there specifically. I think um, though though I think that um, that they were correct in some ways and they were wrong in other ways. So. Anyway, but here's the thing. Um, so, so about this episode, we talked about the bands that um, that used Atari MIDI, Atari SC and MIDI. It turns out almost every band who recorded, you know, did. in, in yeah, late '80s or early '90s, used an Atari ST in some way whatsoever. It touched every single. I'm not every, but I mean like a huge percentage of rec- records were somehow either sequenced or or um, laid out with using using Atari ST and MIDI. Um, yeah. I mean, the Mac and the Amiga came along as well, but the the timing was so good on the Atari C. But there was an episode. Eventually, eventually, the you know the the cards that came out for the PC, the Sound Blaster had such great timing, and some of the other cards that you could use them for MIDI. Sure, um, the Roland card, the Roland card. That there came was out. an episode of the Retro Hour a few episodes ago where the Utah Saints were on. And they talked all about using their Atari ST and MIDI, and it was great. They had Atari STs on stage with them. That's a great episode. I was just going to point out, the Retro Hour is an awesome podcast. Um, it's and, funny, because I think I hear that guy's voice elsewhere on well, other a things. A lot of those, like the guys from growing up, not growing up, idiots, sorry. Like the guys from the... Um, Gen X Grown Up? Or the, yeah, like the guys from Gen X Grown Ups... And the guys in retro are they they're they're obviously in the radio business somehow. They have radio voices or they've and they've talked about that. They sort of allude to the fact that their their day job or was either is or was in the radio business. Well, um, they have better mics than we have because right now our connection in these mics makes us sound not very good, but we, we gotta get a better get get better mics. Well we'll, to, we'll work on that. I mean we're, we we do what we can with what we have, even with, the, our, with our zero budget. Okay, with our zero budget, yeah. We're, with zero budget, we don't ask for Patreon donations. We do, we'll never. We're not going to monetize anything. So we are just in a zero. Actually, negative I was actually budget. thinking about setting up a Patreon, and this is why. This is why. 
not begging anybody to do it, but the, actually the guys on Growing Up 80s said they just got they, they, they talked yesterday about how they got their first Patreon donation and they had set up a Patreon and kind of forgot about it because someone had told them to set it up just in case. So in case you make some content that people just absolutely love and want to donate to you, there's a place for them to do it. But don't really beg people to, to, to right. do it. I think that's an interesting idea. I, I'm, my jury's out on it because I never really wanted to do it. But um, we'll th I'll think about it. Yeah. So season one, episode seven, playing the VCS together, interview with Jamie Landino. Now this one, there was, there was a couple things in this one we sat down and we played a you know a few vcs games side by side and talked about them so the one thing on combat wasn't fair was that you didn't restart at the same positions again after you died you could you could just you could just bl if you were right next to somebody you should just shoot them and, and shoot with this them and scary them. one you can do some funny stuff too so um so i mean with our play you know instantly with combat it was basically um, the same stuff we were doing outside, right? Well, like, let's of. say like we would we would play guns outside, but you know the argument was always who hit who, right? And and combat literally solved that problem, yeah. right? Well, There's the, no the question. And one of the so so like combat was kind of like playing, you know, a lot of the outside games that we would play. Um, but now you could actually I'll have give you an advantage because I'm winning. I'm going to take out this retron joystick and put in the other okay. official Atari. Well, I'm going to shoot the you. Retron joystick sucks. Okay. You know what retron. I also like about this is the way that your tank does, like fly backwards too. So you do have a chance. Another one was our story, another autobiographical story about us playing together, which which I which we re-released this season with an extra added segment in it. Um, as well, yep. uh, about us playing baseball. Spaceship, my brother yelled. We both jumped into the front of the white milk delivery truck parked in our backyard. Parked is a kind word for how it sat. It had been there for years and never moved because of rotted holes in the roof and its position sitting under the canopy of our Chinese elm tree. It was covered and filled with sticks and leaves. One back tire was missing. The others had long since deflated and began to give themselves back to the earth. We both got into the cab, brushing aside clumps of leaves quickly enough to both clear the seats and not see what creatures might be hiding in them. I grabbed the steering wheel by its rotting hand grips. Rocket launch to space, my brother called from the co-pilot seat. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. We have ignition. In unison, we both shot backwards in our seats. I twisted the steering wheel side to side in an attempt to steady our ship during flight. The engines roared. Have we left the atmosphere? I asked my navigator. Close. Oh no, we're breaking up. Crash landing, crash landing, crash landing. It's time to jump, I instructed. We both motioned to put on our parachutes. Then we got into position, holding onto the frame of the missing doors on each side of our ship. Ready, set, go. The free fall only lasted a fraction of a second. When I hit the ground, I rolled into a pile of leaves, just missing a bundle of branches left from the tree trimming a few days prior. Time to make an assault on the planet, I yelled. We grabbed our identical red flashlight laser guns and crept into the jungle planet behind our garage. This was an area our family had dubbed the Back Back, as it was the second backyard on our property. Situated behind the garage and attached to a mother-in-law unit, it was a 20 by 50 wild area filled with giant stalks of bamboo, 
with leaves that tasted like licorice, wild reams of jungle grass, grown over attempts at gardening, plus old toys, logs, and rusted tools, long lost to the uncontrollable nature. My dad made a valiant attempt to tame it every summer, but the area always fought back with an untamable, ferocious vigor. In the desert climate of the South Bay beach town in which we resided, it looked and felt like another world. I put my hand in my mouth and talked to my radio. <laughs> I made the sound of radio being turned on with my mouth. Okay, big mouse, let's explore this place. <laughs> my brother responded, his hand up to his mouth, talking through his fingers. Little mouse, I don't see anything yet. At some point early in our lives, my brother and I began calling each other Big Mouse and Little Mouse. The names did not connote to anything in the real world, not to our relative size, nor even especially to animals we liked. They were of unexplainable origins, and we used them while imagining games and new worlds together. For all I know, the nicknames went all the way back to when we were twins in the womb. We crept through the stalks of bamboo, holding our guns out in front of us, at the ready to fight any space monsters we might find. This could be the planet of the apes, I whispered. I don't know, Big Mouse whispered back. That doesn't look like an ape to me. He pointed towards a set of green eyes sitting in a round clump of wild grass. An alien monster. White Paw, one of our two cats, blinked her eyes back at us. We flashed our lasers at the beast. Keep firing, Little Mouse called out. We switched our flashlights on and off at White Paw until she had enough. She got up, stretched, and scampered further back into the wild brush. Alien threat destroyed, Big Mouse said. Return to the ship, Little Mouse replied. And then we had an interview with Jamie Landino, which um, was, was our first interview. That, no, that was after two books were released, I think, of his, right? Yes. He released the Atari one and the Atari 8-bit book by that time. I mean, basically, after coming, up, coming off of Breakout, which was the one I wrote about the Atari 800, I was... Uh, I just felt the need. I was like, I saw the 40th anniversary coming up, which of course I didn't make because you know that's how scheduling works. Yeah. yeah. I um, I, I just wanted to tell because that, that's kind of how really I got started uh, before anything else with technology. Like I was five years old. Um, my my memory's a little faded, but whether or not I was five or just turning six, it was something like that. But um, I just wanted to be able to document some of that and just go through all of the significant games that made the 2600 what it was. But there's always people that are like, oh, the 8-bit era didn't even start until the Nintendo. Don't even talk to me about Atari. It's like, hold on a second. Like, <laughs> that's not how that works. First like, of all, you're using the same processor, pretty much. Yeah, so. yeah seriously, right? And, and, yeah, it's like 13 pins, whatever. It's still the same thing. It's like, well, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to explain maybe to those people that was kind of my subtext, like you 35-year-olds that think everything started with the Nintendo, it talks on you, you know. <laughs> um, I have those feelings on a daily basis. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so yeah, I just I, I, I kind of wanted to address that, and I also just, I mean, even when we had it, we knew that it wasn't very good at a lot of things, especially as yeah, we were exactly. we were just we were just discussing that, and and I don't want to I want to break up. We were talking about Pac Man, which is the thing I, I really want to talk to you about. Yes, the Pac Man yes. chapter is my favorite. So let's remember that and come come back to it. Oh boy! So no, it was just—it it was something that even when I was in grade school, actually, what grade? I guess I would have been in fourth grade because I was nine. I was—I was born in '73, so I just remember that being the, the most uh, anticipated release. You know, the way people talk about Overwatch or the way people talk about Fortnite, right. or, like that was like probably the first big release I remember happening with any kind of software. Yeah, and now now Jamie has an Atari ST book. 
I, yeah, I was going to say. I think it's a follow-up. We need to interview Jamie about the Atari ST book, and I think that goes well with season three. It does um, go Because when we went back, so what we didn't talk about in, in episode six is that our plan, it, we, we made an Atari ST game back in 1989. We finished it, we compiled it, we put it together, and we did nothing with it. And we did nothing with it because it's not that great. But I think what we want to do is go back and re-optimize that code and do something with it. Like you right. said, get it into Atari Mania just because it, it was written back in the day. It was not written now. It was, it was our idea about how we would make a game with no skills. I liken the experience to the movie, American Movie. Remember American Movie? COVID? Yes, American Movie. I think our yes. game is very Coven. similar to that. Coven. Coven and North, North, Northwestern. Northwestern. Right. Yes. yes uh, 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 the game is our Northwestern. So... Uh, what was Great up to next? hear. What was up next? Next uh, season seven? So season one, episode eight, Wild Gunman and the Bronze Age of Arcade Games. So the Bronze Age of Arcade, that was our favorite arcade games from um, before, uh, bef like before Space Invaders. I, I think a right. couple of them came after Space Invaders. They were like bizarre, kind of weird, kind of fun arcade games. Number eight on the list is a game that I remember. I don't know if you remember this game. They had only had a copy at Castle Park. It's called... Speed Freak, and I want you to take take a look at it. If see if you remember this. Oh man! Speed Freak is a vector racing game. I thought this was for a long time. I thought Night this was Night Driver. Not even. But close. this is not. This is a this is a vector. I think it's a Cinematronics vector game. And the thing I remember about this game it looks like Night Driver because it's all black and white. And you're this driving, is awesome. Is is the cow on the side? There's a cow on the side of the road. And I, this is like an early version of hard driving. Yeah, but, it is, but not as hard to drive. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's really well done. Look look how well you know the the um what the roadway the when you hit a car it explodes into other you know lots of this pieces. Is Speed Freaker from seventy. Oh, it's by a company called Vector Beam from nineteen seventy eight. It's, it's still a timed game. The um, like like the games were the same. Because a lot of the games here, you know, there are no extra lives. It, it's you could extend the play, but for the most part, it was all time, all like you know, run out of time. This this is not this is not by so this is my Atari. This, this is, is by Vector Beam. Yeah, this isn't going to show up on the um, on the flashback. But this game no, is awesome. It's not, but it's sad that like companies like this can't get their can't get their music, stuff. It's a really nice game. Okay. Did we come up with anything else for that one? Do you remember any other arcade games? Or are we pretty much done with that? I don't remember at the moment. Okay, well, Wild Gunman, the story was about going to see um, uh, Westworld for the first time. Part three, Wild Gunman. The minute we entered, it was like visiting an alternate universe. The air was filled with a cacophony of bells and slaps from pinball and other electromechanical machines and grumbling digital tones from the video games. Like the androids in Westworld, who came to life once the visitors paid $1,000 a day for the privilege of visiting their world, these electronic games begged for the change in our pockets so they could come to life and let us enjoy the amusements they held inside. The lights were dimmed, but it was not dark inside. Every corner of the room was lit by flashing beacons. We inched through the room, looking at the array of games on display. 
An eight-player auto racing game sat in the middle of the room next to a section of Pong and Pong-style games. There were many machines with steering wheels and rifles attached. On the south wall, next to a bank of skee-ball machines, was one of the most interesting things I had ever seen. It was an enormous machine that was at least eight feet high and eight feet wide and ten feet long. It had a counter in the front with a six-shooter and a holster attached and an eight-foot-wide screen in the back. It was named Wild Gunman, and it was amazing. Yes. I think that came out um, after the first season of Westworld, but before the second season, maybe, or maybe the second season, it was in the middle of the second season of West, Westworld. Did, did you, so we talked about Westworld then. Did you find the second season of Westworld a mess? Yes. Here's what I, here's my problem with this, with Westworld in theory. The first episode posits there's a maze you need to get through and somehow it's an it's it's part of the brains of the of the fembots yes. or whatever you want to call them. Um that just is dropped at some point into a a a winding story of just it was fine and I liked the characters more than I liked the story. I think the story really was was just they 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 might have known where they were going, but getting there was a circuitous sort of annoying route. I like the yeah. idea of Westworld, though. I'm I, not sure. So the first season they got through, and I didn't. Th- I think they didn't know where to go, and I think then everything in the second season seemed to sort of be rewritten in a way to make it all together, make it all fit together in some way. Anyway, I um I still watched it and enjoyed it. But I, I didn't. It was not the first season was really good. I just didn't think the second season was very good. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, but what about okay? So playing Wild Gunman, um, not a lot. I mean, that was the Old Town. That that arcade was at Old Town Mall, which now is even more like just a regular shopping center than it was. But here's the thing that's funny. So Old Town Mall was we. T- I think we talked about the thing was a mall that had. A miniature golf course and dark rides and and uh, all sorts of collecting stores, a, a magazine but, store, an arcade, a juice now, store, yes. things that that it was would designed exist that now. way from the beginning. Yes. So what I find funny is, you know, down the street now we have this dead mall called uh, the Galleria, which at one time was thriving, but now it has, you know, it's, all the stores are moving out, and inside now are. A lot of stores like you would have found at the Old Town Mall, like things that can afford to come back to the mall. Like there's a retro video game store. There's a couple VR places. There's yeah, the VR places are weird. Indoor playgrounds. There's a dinosaur. There's a two level dinosaur um, kids like dinosaur extravaganza. Yeah, um, it's funny. It's it's sort of become the Old Town, a, a crappy version of the Old Town Mall. Um, because of this whole dead mall, because it has to. Yeah, because it has to, and it's fine. It's neat. It's neat though. I'll say that in 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 its defense, it's neat to see entrepreneurs and people wanting to create that sort of entertainment and make a place for people to go to do it. Right. I, it, it feels like the amount of people that want to create VR shops and playgrounds and stuff. It's like the amount of people who always wanted to make video games. Like people want to make neat, cool like places and fun stuff. Um, they just want the, like a, like a place that they can do it. And and so it's neat that they can do it now. They'll all be gone by the end of this year, probably, but 
There's no arcade yet. I'm hoping for the arcade. No, there's no arcade yet. So the next one, season one, episode nine, Laser Blast in the Weird Family Thanksgiving. Uh, that I, I had a story about um, the Weird Family Thanksgiving, which is when this guy, Randy, came over and lived at our house for abruptly. And he, he came abruptly and left abruptly um, from 1982. And also about me trying to get a high score on Laser Blast, which I got. Subsequently, I actually got another high score on Laser Blast, my own personal high score, playing on the emulated version. But... Um, so I did play again and was able to get back in the zone, which was which was fun. Pulled out the VCS and plugged in Asteroids. My brother and I took turns in a two-player game. Then we move on to Missile Command and then Combat. After my brother was done playing, I removed the Combat cartridge and inserted Laser Blast. I was warmed up enough to try for 100,000. In my first game, I felt the zone coming on. Laser Blast was a deceptively simple game. Almost all Atari VCS games would be considered simple by today's standards, but Laser Blast was even simpler. You flew a saucer over a landscape with three enemy gun emplacements. Your job was to shoot all three and then leave the screen so you could do it all over again. If you simply played the game as advertised, you would last maybe five minutes. The point of Laser Blast was to get into the zone. It was a similar zone to the one my brother and I had observed players finding when playing Asteroids in the arcade, a place where nothing else mattered except the game in front of you. The zone in Laser Blast was a nuanced collection of hand-eye coordination, quick reflexes, and stamina. When the game started, you had pretty much the whole screen to navigate and control your vertical distance from the ground. However, as you progressed, the force field got a bit higher and higher until you could fly only at the highest level. As well, the enemy bases got more and more accurate with their shots. The key to doing well in the game was, as you entered the screen from the left side, quickly flicking your wrist while firing three times, all direct hits on the bases before exiting on the right and doing it all over again for hours and hours. While the process looked mind-numbingly boring to an outsider, it was as thrilling an adventure as you might imagine. Just as I was getting into the zone that day, I heard the screen door open. The voices of my sister and Randy wafted into the living room. I immediately got self-conscious about my plane, and the zone was shattered. Before Randy and my sister could walk the short distance from the kitchen to the living room, I shut off the VCS and fled to my room. Uh, and then you had a story about baseball. Yeah, because we, um, I think we had received, we got, we went to the store and bought Star League baseball sometime around uh, Thanksgiving of of eighty four. Eighty four, eighty five. Yeah, one of those. Yeah, years. because we could find because it's one of the ga- places that sold games for the Atari eight hundred was the top floor of May Company. May Company in the electronics yeah. department. Yeah, and they had an electronics department, which was really interesting. Four days in November, the driveway, a ball, a bat, a glove, a long driveway to craft our own game. Two-person contest, pitch and take aim, a bat or a racket, firm on our hands, throwing and pitching and cranking grand slams. 
over the garage, and into the imaginary stand. And I um, remember and you and I would we would note any and every place that sold Atari games. Oh yeah. Um, last week I was at the Delamo Mall, which is now a mall that's being revived, and I walked down to the far end, which is still sort of dying, where the Sears is. Where um, you had, I think you had, we had a story in this season, the second season, about going to that Sears and playing those games. Um, I remember right next to that Sears, which is now a Dave and Buster's, there was a little electronic store. I remember there used to be these little boutique electronic stores to sell people really, you know, bait and switch, really high, really expensive electronics. Oh, stereo salesmen, dude. Yes. That's what they made money on their sales. Oh, yeah. But in the back of that store, they sold VCS games. I think that's the first place we saw a Magic games. And I, I, I remember my, my, my extreme excitement of seeing those Magic boxes and realizing that now not just Atari and not just Activision, but this other company was making games too. I remember that excitement you know? too. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to explain to people how exciting it was to see the video game industry grow like just a little bit at a time or just seeing tiny improvements in like graphics for a home system in games and and and, gameplay and realizing that this thing is going to get bigger and bigger because we were like 11 or 12 years old i mean this was our thing like like this is our you know this is you know video games from that era are our like 60s rock and roll or whatever like it was our thing that we got we got to see firsthand and see it grow and also blow up, and that's what the vertical blank is all about. That period, but um, but I, I mean, I, I just a total recall of just going there and going, oh my god, that's where I saw Magic Games. Why do I remember that? Why is that a memory I hold? <laughs> well, because you there were Sears, J.C. Penney, that store, and a few other stores in that mall had them. I mean, they it was they weren't a lot early on but they're definitely they definitely were there you know i mean it's because that's that's what we were think, looking you know, for. i think that that makes sense because atari had their first success selling into sears sporting goods department right yeah and so you think that the sales team just grew over years you know imagining that those department stores were the place where they were going to make the most money you know and and get the biggest sales it's funny well, you know, a lot they, of units i mean they just want to sell a bunch of units and yeah. and where else and, and all those stores had had weekend ads you know where people could see the stuff and go out and get it it's funny how that industry has changed so much to the point where those stores don't would don't even wouldn't even think about selling video games at all no no they wouldn't um okay number 10 was christmas in the vertical blank uh, uh, that was a Christmas a couple train songs. Yes, we had a we had the we had our, our a song about our our favorite podcast and all the people that that we liked for the year and get us off the ground and then Twelve Years of Atari Christmas. On Christmas ninety two Atari gave to me twelve Jaguar announcements. 11 elusive panthers. 10 federateds closing. 9 lynxes mewing. 8 games imported. 7 7800s. 6 SD computers. 5 discount games. 4 abandoned projects. 3 8-bit computers. 2 arcade classics. And a VCS under the Christmas tree. 
Have a very merry retro Christmas. Be it a Dali. Be it in television. Be it Coleco. Be it Commodore. I had a story about the Christmas train, which was about dad and Christmas. It actually was a post-Atari story. It's a story about what happened the years after we got Atari and what and how dad wanted us to always play with trains and, and we, you know, we gravitated towards video games, which he was never into. I looked on with fascination as the mechanical and electric met on the brushed nickel railroad tracks. I love the idea that I could design my own tracks, fitting them together with switches to alter the course and control the flow of the train cars. It was a system of elegant, modular simplicity that could be used to create infinite combinations. I did not know it yet, but model trains were my first introduction to the world of design and engineering. In the evening time, I often found myself sitting on a chair, laying my head on the table, and watching the train whiz by with the blinking lights and the Christmas tree as backup. It was in those quiet moments that I felt like anything was possible, and at the same time, nothing would ever change. In the months after Christmas that year, my dad took my brother and I around to the local model railroad shops. This was the mid-1970s, when model railroading was still a viable business for brick-and-mortar walk-in traffic. Within a five-mile radius of our house, there were at least a half-dozen stores that sold exclusively products for model railroaders. These stores were not for kids. You might find kids inside, but for the most part, they contained graying old men who took their hobby very seriously. What we discovered in those first few months of 1977 was that while N-scale trains were compact, cool, and efficient, they were also expensive and hard to find. HO scale is 187 scale, which means that the cars and scenery are 87 times smaller than in real life. By comparison, a Hot Wheels car is 164 scale, or 64 times smaller than real life. N scale, smaller than HO scale, is 1 160th scale, or 160 times smaller than real life. The only thing smaller at the time was Z scale, which is 1 to 220 scale, or 220 times smaller than real life. Smaller in this case meant more intricate and more expensive. In the mid-1970s, HO scale had become the standard. While N-scale was still mildly popular, it took three or four times the effort and cost to build a model railroad at such... And that's what that story was kind of about. It's about that thing that our dad wanted us to do. And now, you know, it's funny. I find my, I find my you know, my kids are getting older and older. You know, I, I feel like the time is slipping away that I can introduce them to the things that I like. And it's getting harder and harder to do that. And I, I think back about what dad tried to do and then how he sort of went out to the garage and just made his train track exactly. and how I just go and do my retro games and, 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 um, and, and get my stuff and do it myself because I can't get anyone interested, you know, and, and how that, how that cycle just continued. Mostly with retro games, I have the, um, the same problem with the boys, but every once in a while they, uh, I will like they were so interested in the retro pie and it's been sitting in the living room for two years. And once Ryan's Ryan, he's 15. He just played like a game of punch out on the NES, like I guess via emulation or something. I thought it was like the greatest game. And I'm like, well, I have, I have it on the retro pie. I go, I have it. You can play it like multiple ways. And so 
Then I got the Super Punch-Out, which is a much better version, which is on the Super Nintendo, and I put it on there. And he's been having a blast. So I particularly got another system put together so I could make sure that that game was available both oh, in the places cool. in case yeah, I mean, play. Yeah, uh, I mean, like, like uh, my, my daughter, my oldest daughter, loves uh, Primal Rage. And oh. I would love to get a Retro Pie that had Primal Rage on it to give it to her. So she could. Play it's, that that's, game. that's an Atari game, right? Yeah, no, it's, a, it's an Atari games game, but it was mid. I think Midway Games actually released it. I think that's when they were a part of mid, Midway. But I, I might be wrong. But it is an Atari games game. But but it's funny, you know. We just had our fiftieth birthday party. It's a great party. Just yeah. turning fifty. Um, but I came upstairs where we had the Retro Pie set up, and I saw your both your boys playing punch, Super Punch Out on the Retro Pie, which was. Cool. So at least they've got that. You know, it's not really our games. You know, Nintendo obviously. You know, it, it, they have grip Nintendo and all those um, post Gold Age games are great. And you know, there's a reason why they were popular, not just yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they don't have a huge interest in anything before that, really. I don't blame them. I mean, I don't you, blame you, them either because they, like they really like the um, adventure element of the games, and they, but but uh, like a maybe a classic computer. Uh, like role playing game might interest them a little bit, but I think that there's they need more to their games. Like the game that you just kind of sit there and and tap on dots no. works. No, no, it does. When you just tap it on dots with your fingers, and, oh. but it, it, like that type of game for Justin or something is fine. But like, but like realistically, if it's you just shooting like at the bottom of the screen, shooting stuff at the top of the screen, it's like that's not even their type of game. I know, and like, that's all I want to do, and they don't even consider it a game. So. Yeah, exactly. All right, so the last episode was a bonus season one, episode eleven, a bonus trip to Retro City Festival. You you didn't go to that. I went that to that alone. I went. Well, right. I brought the family, which is a bit of a mistake. All right, Katie, we're gonna go to this Retro City thing today. What do you think? I'm excited. It's like an arcade where it's free, but it's not free, but. You get to play for free, technically. So that's what you're excited about? Free well, games? Yeah, well, because you can just run around and play whatever game you want. You might have to stand in line, but, like, and there's also going to be other stuff, which is cool. They weren't ready to go. It was not It was not the type of event. It was a very small event. It smelled like like a bad, good, like, like, like a lot of dirty old stuff. Maybe it was the, the event hall itself. But they got people, like, my family got turned off immediately. So I was going to go just with you this year, but they, they canceled the one that was going to be in January, and they moved it. So it's going to be later in the year. But I'm really, really, and this is my goal, I want to get to the Portland, Portland Retro Gaming it's, it's in the summer this year. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I really want to get to that. If one of my kids goes to college in Portland, then that'll make it easy. I can either visit or we can do it or whatever. So that, but my goal is to get to the Portland retro gaming expo this year. Oh, one other thing for my birthday. I didn't tell you the oldest daughter somehow got the logo for into the vertical blank and made me an into the vertical blank t-shirt. Wait, I want one of those. I know she made one for me. The other kids also got me t-shirts. Um, one made me an R2-D2 t-shirt. It's fantastic. It it has R2-D2 on the front in the ACDC lettering, and on the back it has these tour dates of where R2-D2 showed up in different oh places. God. That's it's awesome. Fantastic. So my kids made me stuff. I mean, it's amazing. And then, then my wife got me the pinball machine, which is even more amazing, the, the, the three-quarter size 
uh, Toy Shock Pinball Machine. That's our up. That's our that's our recap of season one. I don't know when we'll do our season two re- recap. We just ended season two. I don't think we need to do a recap yet. I think we no, recap no. season two after season three. That well, makes sure. sense. Or just not really recap, but like if there's any additions. Yeah, I don't. Like... We don't have many updates, but okay, Jeff, that was cool. Let's um, we'll get on to the next thing, and hopefully we'll we got we're preparing for for season um three now. So um, yeah, we'll do that soon. Should this be three dot zero? No, I think. I think we I think this should be 2.19. Okay, sounds good. Waiting for Jeff to come back from the bathroom. Waiting for Jeff to come back from a pee. Waiting for Jeff to come back from the bathroom. He's really annoying me. Waiting for Jeff to come back from the sh. Waiting for Jeff to come back from the pot. Jeff is making me bitter. And I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not. Waiting for Jeff to come back from the bathroom. Waiting for Jeff to come back from a pee. Waiting for Jeff to come back from the bathroom. He's really annoying me. He's really annoying me. Hey, I apologize. I went from having been sick to my stomach to not being sick to my stomach, but having weird things I understand. coming out. I was just singing anyway. a song about Jeff going to the bathroom. Okay. That's awesome. Next frame calculated. Prepare to write new data. V blank ending. An 8-Bit Rocket Studios production.